Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Stocks pulling back. We're sitting near session lows right now, but still tracking for big gains on the week. This is the make or break hour for your money. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen coming to you live from Washington today. Take a look at where we stand right now in the market. The low for the Dow is down about 400 points. We're not too far away from that level, below 30,000 there. S&P 500 down a full percent. The only sector that's in positive territory right now is energy, oil prices, holding near three-week highs after we got that decision from OPEC Plus to tighten crude supply, cut production. Everybody else is weaker. And then there's some sharp declines in the S&P sector. Utilities, for instance, down 3%. Real estate down 3%. These were the more safe haven kind of places to hide, giving a lot back today. Financials are also having a rough day, down 1.5%. The NASDAQ is performing a little bit better than the overall S&P 500, down about 6 tenths. Yields are higher and the dollar is stronger. Bit of a reversal than what the, the easier financial conditions we've seen earlier this week. Here's a live look right now at the biggest Dow. Underperformers right now, there are plenty of them. United Healthcare is the biggest drag right now on the Dow. You've also got names like 3M, IBM, Walgreens, Coca-Cola, and Verizon. The only thing working right now in the Dow, Chevron, Caterpillar, and Home Depot. Everybody else is lower. Coming up on the show this hour, we will talk to David Rubenstein, the co-founder of Washington-based private equity firm Carlyle Group, for a look at how market volatility and macro risks are impacting his business. Plus, we will get a read on the strength of the consumer and the impact of food inflation when we are joined by the CEO of snack powerhouse, Mondelez. Let's get straight, though, to the market. Today's dashboard, Mike Santoli, is at the New York Stock Exchange for us. Mike, what are you focused on? We've turned lower here this afternoon. Yeah, we have, Sarah. A little bit of a test of nerves leading into tomorrow's jobs report. Of course, we've had the usual chorus of Fed speak, very resolute, very hawkish, but also very consistent message. So I don't think there's anything too new in what we've been hearing from the Fed, except for, you know, status quo, which is they're not going to anticipate a turn for the better in inflation. They've got to wait to see, including tomorrow's employment number. Uh, the market is still in the S&P 500 holding a little bit above yesterday's lows. So if you want to quantify how much, you know, sort of damage is being done today, we're still churning within yesterday's range, up five and a half, five point seven percent for two days. Gave back just marginal pieces of that. Uh, still definitely uh, in the lower reaches of where we've traded this year. You know, the 3,800, 900 uh, areas of the S&P is more the lower end of the, the prevailing range that lasted for quite a while. We're still looking up at those levels. Now, you mentioned energy, Sarah. There's been an interesting split in energy stocks relative to crude oil, and that's relatively new over the last few months. You see, this is a two-year chart for most of that period of time, very much in sync. And here you have energy stocks in the S&P 500 uh, going higher as crude has settled lower. There's not necessarily over the long term a one-for-one kind of lockstep relationship, but it is interesting because investors seem willing to accept crude at these levels. Natural gas, of course, is higher and feeling that it can support the cash flows of these companies. Also, some of the very few companies within the market that has rising earnings estimates and there's a confidence they can meet the estimates. So arguably, there's a little bit of crowding going on, people grabbing for energy or clinging to it when not a lot else uh, to pin their hopes on, Sarah. 
So, Mike, as far as the market movers these days, there's so much Fed speak. It's hard, yeah. hard to know what to hang your hat on. They're, they're, they're mostly singing the same tune, that they've got a lot more work to do when it comes to fighting inflation, and they're not done hiking yet, though Rafael Bostic out of Atlanta said that they'd like to see a pause after this year. Just wondering where the yeah. market is in terms of Fed expectations and what might be the next surprise. With Fed expectations, direct Fed expectations of where rates will go, I think it's been pretty steady since the September Fed meeting, which is to say short-term rates get above 4% at the end of this year, the early part of next year, and then they're more or less in their target zone, and they'll go for a while at that level. But the market is not going to be able to resist reacting to incoming numbers, such as the prices paid going down in the ISM indexes, such as things like rents uh, rolling a little bit, energy prices coming down. They're not gonna, it's not going to be able to resist trying to anticipate an improvement in inflation or a weakening of economic growth or tightening financial conditions that they think will lead to the Fed to maybe just pause. Um, so I think that's where the tension is. I don't think anybody believes we're going to get an all-clear signal uh, anytime soon because you're going to need multiple months of the real inflation data. But just that idea that we're getting toward the end of this tightening process is one that I think the market keeps wanting to grab for. Well, Mike, thank you. We'll see you a little bit later and throughout the hour from the New York Stock Exchange. On that note, the IMF out with a warning today here in Washington saying global recession risks are rising and inflation must be stopped. I spoke earlier with Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva and asked her what she thinks Fed Chair Powell should do right now. The path he has to walk is very, very narrow. If he doesn't tighten enough, inflation may de-anchor. If he tightens too much, there could be recession. So Chair Powell is doing uh, his best to watch the parameters in the economy to calibrate what he does. And I have trust that he would take the right, uh, he would make the, the right call. Joining us now is co-founder and co-chairman of the Carlyle Group, David Rubenstein. Great to have you back on the show, David. My pleasure to be here. So what do you think is the bigger risk right now? What's your base, baseline view of what happens, that he over-tightens, under-tightens, or gets it just right? Well, obviously, nobody knows for certain. I think there's a concern that the Fed could uh, over-tighten because it's so interested in getting inflation down. But Jay Powell is obviously smart, and the rest of the members of the Fed are smart, and they recognize that they do too much. It could put us into a recession. Uh, the third quarter numbers are coming out in a couple of weeks, and it doesn't look like we're heading into a recession because the numbers are suggesting something like a, about a 2.5% growth rate for the third quarter, which would say that we're not tipping into a recession. Obviously, we've got you know the fourth quarter to worry about other things. The Fed is, I think, doing as good a job as it can based on the information it currently has. But Europe has the bigger problem than the United States. Europe is probably in a recession now. Certainly, I think the U.K. is, and therefore, I think uh, we have to be careful when we deal with uh, Europe, because we recognize they, they could drag us down, but that seems unlikely at the moment. Yeah, I mean, hard to believe that Europe and the UK in recession, China's slowing pretty sharply as well, and the US would, it, would it not get dragged in? Well, we are not as dependent on the European economy as we once were many, many years ago. Obviously, we have a big uh, relationship with China as well. I think China is not in a recession, but it's obviously in a much lower growth mode than it would prefer. I think right now we're, the market's in a wait and see. And when you're in a wait and see mode, any bad, bad news is overreacted to. And sometimes good news is overreacted to. So I think we're going to be treading water for a while. Uh, there's no clear sign that's, that we're going to be in a recession right away. 
or no clear sign that we're out of the woods with, with respect to inflation. The numbers on, on uh, the energy prices are not encouraging. Obviously, we prefer the energy prices and OPEC uh, produce more oil than they appear to be producing. But I don't think that's as big a problem as, uh, as it could be years ago when we didn't produce that much oil or gas ourselves. Hmm. And by the way, on this note, Gorgieva did tell me that they expect, the IMF expects one-third of the global economy, countries that make up one-third of the global economy, to have more than two negative, or at least two negative, consecutive quarters of growth. So recession well, definition or not. But, but clearly that's, that's going to be a bumpy road and that it's going to get worse next year, David, because growth is going to slow even further. How do you position for, for that kind of environment? Well, in the business of private equity or longer-term investments, we tend to invest for three to five years down the road. So worrying about each quarter, each day is not quite as uh, consequential as it is for people who are trading on a regular basis. But clearly, we are in a lower growth mode than we were years ago, and clearly we're in a higher inflation mode than we were years ago. When I went to college, the average inflation rate in textbooks was said to be roughly 3 or 4%. Now we've gotten used to 2% inflation, and maybe we have to get yes, used to 3 to 4% inflation as the norm. We've been used to 20 to 2% the last 25 years, and maybe the Fed should recognize that getting the 2% is not easy to do. It might require taking the inflation, the interest rates up to, to much higher rates than we probably could tolerate. So I suspect that the Fed will feel more and more uh, pressure to not go down to 2% because that will probably tip us into a recession. Yeah. How, how is it all impacting, David, investor appetite for what you do, alternative investments? Because there's some numbers out. The FT covered Prequin's latest numbers showing incredibly strong, and they expect alt investment overall, manage, uh, overall assets under management to double by 2027 to $18.3 trillion. Is that what you're seeing? Well, yes, because what's happened is that over the last 10 years, 20 years, and 30 years, and even 40 years, the alternative investment world has outperformed public markets in, in, in stocks much uh, fairly handily. And therefore, if you have a chance to invest in alternatives and are good firms uh, they're investing with, you're probably going to beat the market averages for public indexes for publicly traded stocks. So uh, there's a fair amount of uh, interest out there still in alternatives, and I don't see any diminution in that interest. Clearly, there's been some uh, slowdown a bit in fundraising because people have less money than they had before because uh, the markets have gone down, and therefore the denominator produces less money for them to be able to invest. But overall, I think the alternative sector is in pretty good shape, and people are pretty used to the good returns that the alternative sectors have provided. What about deal making and with, with the money flowing in? There, there was a, a rumor about Compass today getting taken private by Vista. That was sort of rejected by the company. Um, we'll see whether Mr. Musk's deal goes through. It's looking likely at this point. Besides that, what 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 do you see for private equity and, and overall deal making in this kind of environment? Are there good values yet? Are you ready to pounce? Well, deal making is slowed down clearly. There's less M&A than there was uh, you know, a couple months ago. And that's because when you have a situation where prices have gone down as much as they have in public markets, uh, people who are selling things say, well, this is a temporary aber aberration, and we would think the prices should be more normalized, and therefore the price we want is much higher than the seller really wants to pay, than the buyer really wants to pay. The financing is generally available for deals, uh, but you have to put in more equity than you did years ago for buyouts. Generally, there's a big gap between seller and buyer price expectations, and that can slow things down for a while. But generally, I think the markets are reasonable for doing deals. David Rubenstein, it's great to get some color from you on the Thank business you. and the macro. Appreciate it from the Carlisle Group. We're getting some breaking news from right here in Washington. Kayla Tausche with the details. Kayla.
Well, Sarah, the White House announcing that President Biden will be pardoning all prior federal offenses for simple marijuana possession. Officials at the White House expect that this policy will impact roughly 6,500 people who have previously been charged with the federal offense. And the President Biden is also calling on governors of all political parties and all states to take the same action. The White House saying that uh, far too many lives have been upended by the simple possession of marijuana, which in many states has now become legal. And while senior officials acknowledge that it's fairly uncommon for people to be incarcerated simply because of this one offense, they said it is very common for people to be uh, turned away from apartments and jobs because of having this on their record. So they've instructed the attorney general to produce some sort of certificate for these individuals that they can then take to a landlord or a potential employer to prove that this offense has been pardoned. Additionally, the president is calling on the Department of Health and Human Services to study the classification of marijuana, suggesting that perhaps it should not be classified with other drugs like LSD and heroin, especially as it is becoming more legal across the board across this country. Now, as for the operation of companies in this space, the White House didn't comment specifically on what potential policy changes could be impacting these companies. The statement does say that the president believes that certain regulations and marketing and trafficking uh, should still stay in place, uh, but we will certainly see a big impact in the lives of thousands of individuals from this policy, and we'll see how it impacts the corporate world as well. Sarah? Well, we're already seeing quite a move in some of these stocks, Kayla, shooting higher. Again, they've been absolutely slammed uh, in the bear market. But a name like Tilray right now, 14 percent just on the news, perhaps evidence that there will be further steps to decriminalize marijuana from this administration, something that I know these companies have been very hopeful for in this country. Kayla Tausche, thank you. After the break, we're going to talk to the CEO of $80 billion snacking giant Mondelez behind Nabisco, Oreos, and more. Get his read on consumer spending and whether he sees food inflation starting to ease. You're watching Closing Bell here on CNBC. The Dow is down 381. Sharp strength here in the dollar, which is up 1% against the euro. We'll be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We're following the sell-off for you. The Dow's down about 344 points. S&P is now down a full percent, so we picked up a little steam on the selling here in this final hour. Consumer staples are getting hit as well, down 1.5%, right at the bottom of the list with utilities and real estate. These are the somewhat safer groups that tend to do well, but they also get hit sometimes when rates are rising. Mondelez CEO Dirk Vandeput is ringing the NASDAQ closing bell. He joins us now for a first on CNBC interview. Dirk, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's good to be back. 
So there are all sorts of concerns now about the consumer. Now we layer on top of the inflationary concerns, the rate shock, the interest rates going higher. What are you seeing at the moment? At the moment, we certainly see consumers um, shifting their spending. Um, I would say they, they spend less on clothing, on traveling, on big ticket items. But so far, I would say in food, uh, it's been mitigated. It has not been a big effect. If I look at our business, our volumes are still up versus last year. They've slowed down a little bit, but we don't see any signs of massive change. Now, we're in biscuits and chocolate, not necessarily uh, categories that get immensely affected by a recession. But I would say we see changing spending, but so far food seems to be uh, relatively unscathed, I would say. And people haven't been trading down to private label brands, which we sometimes see during recessions? Uh, I think in, in other categories that we are in, yes, I think that is happening. In ours, it's happening a little bit, but particularly, for instance, chocolate, there's almost no private label. Uh, in biscuits, yeah, there's something happening, but it's, it's uh, limited. It's not uh, a real uh, uh, sort of worry at the moment. And what is happening with food prices, Dirk? Are we, are we finally starting to see some relief there for consumers at the grocery? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I have uh, not good news there in the sense, what, what I can tell you, that um, our input costs for next year are going to be up as much as they are up this year. So which means that we need to keep on pricing. Now, there will be an effect of what was priced in 2022 into 23, so you won't see the same size of price increases, but there will be more price increases coming in food, in my opinion. Even though we're starting to see commodities prices come down, so ingredients, oil prices come down, shipping rates come down, shouldn't all of that be helping? Well, it depends from company to company. In, in our case, what is happening is, yes, all those things are coming down. They are still much higher as they were last year, so still a, an increase there. We hedge, so we, we have to, we're well protected for 2022, but we have to deal with that extra effect for 23. And then we have other in, uh, input costs, particularly, for instance, in Europe, which is big for us, energy, that is really going through the roof. Uh, packaging costs are not coming down that much yet. Uh, so it, it's sort of a shift of what's going up in cost, but it's still there. The other, the other thing that has shot up that I'm sure you are not too happy about is this dollar, and it's getting it's getting a big boost today. Perhaps one reason behind the equity selling. You're a company that does what? Still 80% of sales overseas. How are you managing this? Well, that's declining because the the other currencies are all uh, getting smaller against the dollar. But that's not really what we want to see. Well, we 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 have to compete locally. We we cannot have our people in India or in China think in U.S. dollars and price our products in U.S. dollars. We compete locally, and we're competing well. Our business on a country-by-country country basis is probably doing better than it has ever done. And at constant currency, we will have the best year by far with very strong growth versus last year. If you translate, though, those currency in, the dollar, in dollars, that's where the weakness comes and, and our bottom line roughly stays flat for the year. Um, that's only one year, I would say. Uh, we don't try to manage the business in line with that because I, I think that would be wrong. We manage the business to win in the local markets. And I'm sure that the dollar will lose a little bit of its strength and then our, our translation into dollars will look a lot better for us. So because you have such a good grasp on the international picture and we're seeing different 
growth slowdowns everywhere. What can you tell us about what you're seeing from the consumer, for instance, in China or Europe or the U.K. versus the U.S., categories, preferences, economics? What, what stands out? Well, for sure, uh, I think the consumer you have to be worried about at the moment is Europe. Uh, they are starting to see the effect of energy into their, uh, into their electricity bills. And some of these effects are, I think some of them will see 200% price increase of their, of their electricity. Wow. And, and it's hitting now between October and March of next year. That's when most families will see it. Um, so we, we can see that there is a lot of worry uh, and that I assume that that will clearly be reflected in, in, uh, in different spending or in less spending. The country that's probably hardest hit is, is the UK, where the inflation rate is very high, together with, with some of the uh, political turmoil that's going on. And the consumer in the UK particularly feels very anxious. In other places uh, around the world, not so much, I would say. Uh, consumers in Latin America are, are doing quite well. Uh, our markets are, are great. Mm. China, for us, is doing well. We don't see... Uh, we have effects from the lockdown and we see a shift in consumption between categories, but nothing that says that consumers are really very preoccupied. And, and I'm largely talking for our business, of course. Dirk Vandeput, great to get some insight into what you're seeing and what you're dealing with. Costs, consumer, global. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Dirk Vandeput, CEO of Mondelez, ringing the closing bell over at the NASDAQ. We are following the sell-off for you. The S&P 500 down about eight-tenths of 1%. Mike Santoli, I noticed that the dollar strong and Treasury yields are high. Not something that equity yep. investors want to see. A any spark? Didn't seem like there was a specific spark, Sarah, except that, you know, we get later in the day, we're that much closer to tomorrow's jobs number. Uh, and when the markets are anticipating an event like this, I think they're going to just retrace their last big move. In that case, it was down in the dollar in yields and it was uh, up in stocks. And so those things moving a little bit in reverse. Again, mentioned earlier, the S&P for now is still trading within yesterday's range. So in other words, not a new low for the week. Smaller cap stocks are actually holding up fine. It doesn't seem like a real yeah. rush away from risk, but absolutely a tightening up uh, of conditions. And by the way, the volatility index blipped above 30. That's, again, a retracement of the recent decline. Well, the, the labor market, while there are some hints around the edges that it is weakening, is still remarkably strong. Even claims today, which were higher, jobless claims, are still near historically low levels. To, to your point about how it's not, it's not all a runaway from, from risky stocks or risk, Microsoft, Apple, Pepsi, that's weighing on the NASDAQ. But you've got names like Netflix, Google, Costco, Meta, all higher. Adobe, higher right now. And that's what's keeping the NASDAQ from underperforming, which is something we've been used to lately in these types of sell-offs. Yeah, in the last few days, actually, the Nasdaq's been managing to, to hang in there. Of course, it's, it's in a deeper decline off of its highs than the rest of the market. So I don't think there's a lot of specific targeted storylines here. It's just, look, we had a very strong bounce. It's completely debatable as to whether that was a decisive low or just an interim one. And as you mentioned, you know, today we had a little bit of an upside surprise in weekly unemployment claims, like, I don't know, 15,000 jobs in the week. Not much. And briefly, the market wanted to celebrate it. And then it got unwound. <laughs> so it shows you we're very sensitive to every little wrinkle in what's happening with the labor market. Well, and it's also this weird, perverse world where, where the market celebrates bad news on the idea that yes. the Fed will, will 
stop or calm bad, down. but hopefully not too bad. Exactly. Bad, yeah. but not terrible. Right. right. Mike, thank you. We'll see you soon. Stay close. Mike Santoli at the Stock Exchange. Well, first gap now Adidas. After the break, we're going to bring you the latest buzz on Kanye West's growing battle with retailers. We've got some news for you. And later, we'll talk to Eurasia Group President Ian Bremmer about the political fallout from OPEC's surprise production cut today and why he just tweeted to Elon Musk, quote, dude, stop trying to do geopolitics. We'll be right back. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What is Wall Street buzzing about? Adidas finally responds after weeks of Kanye West's or yay, lashing out on social media and on our air, Adidas is finally commenting on the status of their Yeezy partnership. In a statement, the company saying, quote, the partnership is one of the most successful collaborations in our history, in our industry's history. But after repeated efforts to privately resolve the situation, we have taken the decision to place the partnership under review. We will continue to co-manage the current product this period. This is a big deal for Adidas and its shareholders if the partnership ends. It's bigger than the Gap breakup. Why? Because Yeezy and Adidas signed back in 2016. And according to Cowan's John Kernan, Yeezy makes up 7 to 12 percent of footwear revenues for Adidas, about 4 to 8 percent of total Adidas revenues. Here's what CEO Casper Rorstead told me just back in August about Kanye. Kanye is our most important partner worldwide. We have a very, very good relationship with him. We communicate with him on a very ongoing basis. And you know, we're very proud of that relationship. Of course, I asked EA about that relationship just a few weeks ago when he joined us on this show to talk about the gap breakup. Any of these relationships that I'm in, like I have to have a say-so, you know, on the colorways. They were doing colorways. They were naming things. They were sending guys in telling me, don't tell your audience that you didn't name that. And they were slowing down, you know, my allotments and then uh, copying the ideas The uh, that took some things took us two years. West helped turn around Adidas and make it cool again when it was losing ground to Nike in the U.S. Just look at the stock chart before and since Ye dropped those first Yeezy Boost 750s boot-like sneakers. They're still going for thousands of dollars on sneaker retail sites. Yeezy aside, Cowan analyst John Kernan did say the Adidas brand is struggling big time right now, and he predicts that they're going to have to cut guidance for the third quarter. Consensus numbers for next year are too high, he said, given the foreign exchange environment. The stock is down about 3 percent trading here in the U.S., though it is down 61 percent over the last 12 months. Up next, Eurasia Group President Ian Bremmer on reports the U.S. is preparing a deal to loosen oil sanctions against Venezuela and the impact that could have on the global energy market when we come back. Take a look at oil. More strength today, up more than 9 percent now for the week. This comes after The Wall Street Journal reported that the Biden administration is preparing to ease sanctions on Venezuela, enabling Chevron to pump oil. President Biden was asked specifically about Venezuela today, saying there's lots of alternatives and we haven't made up our mind. 
Joining us now is Eurasia Group founder and president Ian Bremmer. Also comes on the day, Ian, that OPEC Plus decides to cut its production quotas, 2 million barrels per day, something that President Biden said he was disappointed about, about after he visited the country and fist bumped the crown prince in July. Ha, what, what is happening here? Uh, fist bumps not moving oil production, uh, I'll tell you that. Uh, I mean, the Saudis, uh, the Russians, the Emiratis, and the rest of the OPEC plus countries um, are a supply cartel, and they are interested in higher prices in the context of lower demand. And that is, of course, what they're seeing, given China's zero COVID policies and reduced consumption as a consequence, as well as expectations for a significant recession coming up in Europe. So, I mean, they made that decision. Uh, that decision was clearly not taken with any concern about how Biden would react or the importance of the U.S. relationship. I don't think it was meant to alienate him. I think it was purely indifferent to the United States. And that says something to the U.S. about the Saudis. And I think going forward, Biden is going to be more cautious and more transactional in the relationship. Coincidence that the that the report about Venezuelan production comes today? I don't think it's a coincidence. But we're not talking about a big move with Venezuela. It's probably going to be about 200,000 barrels a day, assuming it goes forward. I think it will. That Chevron will then be refining uh, in the Gulf and bringing on to the United States. I, I think it's very unlikely that you would see any reduction in sanctions against PDVSA, the Venezuelan state owned oil producer, um, or more broadly um, for the financial sanctions that Venezuela is facing. Uh, there's also the issue that Colombia has a new president right now, President Petro, who has just said that he's going to reach out to the Venezuelan government, try to reestablish relations that former President Duque had cut off. Uh, in Brazil, of course, Lula is likely to win the second round and become the next president in Brazil. That's going to align the Brazilians toward re-engagement with Venezuela. This leftward swing in South America, you mm. saw this play out in the uh, summit of the Americas that went very badly for Biden, means that the United States is kind of on the wrong side of Venezuela right now. And I think Biden does want to try to find a way uh, to address that. So let, I want to also get to some of your tweets, because you have been tweeting at Elon Musk, who has been tweeting about potentially resolving the, the Russian war in Ukraine. <laughs> what do you make? I, you've, called, you've called some of his positions irresponsible. You're, you're clearly not in agreement. The fact that he's weighing in, what do you think about that? Because he obviously carries enormous influence, has a ton of Twitter flowers, is about to buy the platform and take it private, and is now tweeting out about geopolitical solutions to wars. Yes, Sarah, um, the, these are Russian talking points. Uh, when Putin met with a, a number of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization heads of state, Kazakhstan, India, China, he was saying, yeah, we're prepared to negotiate um, if we have uh, the annexed territories, uh, the uh, insurance that we can actually supply water to Crimea, have the land bridge. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and, and that is exactly uh, what we have seen uh, from Elon Musk. And supporting that, he's put up disinformation saying that uh, all these territories in southeast Ukraine are majority ethnic Russian, which isn't true. The only right. territory the map, in Ukraine that's majority true. Russian is Crimea. So, I mean, these are there's no surprise that Russia is promoting Elon Musk's tweets in state media over the course of the day. It's deeply damaging. Um, and also, you mentioned, Sarah, that if he takes over Twitter, he's likely to reinstate President Trump. Um, I've already seen Trump Jr., Donald Trump Jr., I've seen J.D. Vance and others start posting, why is the United States supporting Ukraine? This could lead to nuclear war. This is none of our business. Spend money at the U.S. If former President Trump 
takes on the positions that Elon Musk is presently tweeting on Russia and Ukraine, that will absolutely drive a wedge in the U.S. position on leadership of this issue across the West. Wow. Ian Bremmer, thank you very much for joining us. Sure. Appreciate yeah. it. On a lot of hot topics right now uh, going on in geopolitical world. Here's where we stand right now in the markets, though. Down 314 on the Dow. S&P 500 down a little less than 1%. NASDAQ's holding up better. It's actually only down now half a percent. So it's recovered just in the last few moments or so. The small caps are also doing a little better, only down half a percent. Something Mike highlighted. It's not sort of a washout like we've seen. Some of the, some of the bigger multi-cap Dow stocks are under more pressure. Some of the safer groups like utilities and real estate getting hit a little harder today. Pinterest shares are popping, though, after a big upgrade. Coming up, why Goldman Sachs thinks that stock can rally nearly 30 percent from here. We'll be right back. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. Plus, we've got Julia Borston here for you on a pop for Pinterest and cross marks for Victoria Fernandez on the market. We'll kick it off broad, Mike, because we have seen a sell off in this final hour. Dow's down a percent, 290, though it's off the worst levels. S&P down eight tens. Nasdaq faring better. Small caps faring better. Higher yields, stronger dollar, similar playbook. As we all try to figure out, Mike, you know, this week, was a better week. There was a better tone. We strung together a few days of of up of, of gains in the market, and yep. there's some real there were some real, I think, views that something in the financial markets might break or force the Fed yep. to think that it's done a lot and it should just wait to see what comes next. Something we heard from Bostic, for instance, the Atlanta yep. Fed president, about the end of the year. Does that ring true, or is it just back here? Here we go again. Fed talks hawkishly, yields go up, stocks go down. That idea is in the air that, in fact, uh, you know, the Fed is, is perhaps uh, going to risk some kind of a stress event out there in the market. But I also think you can't get away from the fact that we finished a very weak September and a very weak third quarter on the lows, very oversold, very strong snapback rally Monday and Tuesday. Right now, I think it's digesting it and waiting for tomorrow's jobs number to see if, in fact, we can build a narrative toward, hey, things are moving in the Fed's direction in terms of labor conditions softening up, and maybe that's going to allow yields in the dollar to stay more tame. It's a big if, but that's where we're at. It's going to be wages and participation. Those are the keys tomorrow, yep. right? Because that's what's been putting upward pressure. Lack of participation, higher wages, shortages of jobs. Look at Peloton shares. They are rising today, outperforming the market. CNBC.com obtained a memo from CEO Barry McCarthy to staff disputing an earlier report from the Wall Street Journal. The main dispute over a line in the journal story attributed to McCarthy saying the company had to make significant changes or else it may only have six months to survive on its own. McCarthy writing in the memo that that characterization is, quote, at odds with the story we told and the state of the business. That's on me, and I apologize. But Peloton did today announce another round of layoffs, this time about 500 jobs being cut, roughly 12 percent of its remaining workforce. McCarthy's been on the job now eight months. Stock is down nearly 70 percent in that time. Mike, what happens to, to this name? Where, where's the valuation? Any chance someone could step in? I've been, I've been trying to make calls on this. That I don't know why they would now, especially some big players that get rumored about, like an Apple or a, right. a Nike, when, when it's been cheap for a long time. Well, it's been cheap in terms of the absolute dollar value of the company, which is under $3 billion right now. That seems modest relative to the maybe the power of the brand and, and the peak 
revenues, which were fiscal 2021 that ended in June of 2021 at $4 billion. They went down to $3 billion. They're only expected in fiscal 2024 to get up to 3 and a half. So that's where they're at. They, they built this company to be growing a lot faster. That's why all the cutting um, on a price-to-sales basis, because they're not going to be profitable in the foreseeable. Price-to-sales, you know, it's under one, but it's, you know, a premium to where Nautilus trades, a premium to where GoPro even trades. So I'm not sure where it shakes out. There also is a little bit of debt. Nothing urgent, but I think you have to keep all those things in mind, figuring out long-term if they can justify where they're valued. Also, it'd be a long shot to, to get a struggling company that's unprofitable to give them to give themselves six months to turn it around. Seems like a tough. I'm not, I'm not surprised yeah. he walked it back. Anyway, Pinterest is a big winner today. Goldman Sachs upgrading that stock to buy from neutral, hiking its price target to 31 from 24, implying upside of nearly 30 percent, citing strong potential revenue growth. Earlier on Tech Check, analyst Eric Sheridan also praised CEO Bill Reddy's strategy. Listen. Bill laid out a really interesting long-term narrative about where he wants to take Pinterest. Uh, a focus around commerce, a focus around bringing more shopping to the platform. And we think this is really the future of Pinterest. It's not as much a social media company as we believe it's more of a commerce engine. Julia Borston joins us, covers the stock. Why, Julia, is Goldman so bullish now on a company that's really struggled post-pandemic? It all comes down to the fact that maybe people were thinking about Pinterest wrong and this idea that it should be thought of not as a social platform, but as an e-commerce engine. And I have to point out that today is Bill Reddy's 100th day as CEO of the company. He was brought in because he has that e-commerce background, because he understands the potential of this to be a platform to drive e-commerce growth. So the Goldman Sachs note, they looked at how some of the channel checks, some insight of where advertisers are spending is very positive on Pinterest, but also the fact that brands are bringing over their full catalog into Pinterest and that both brands and the platform understand the potential of understanding consumer intent. People are searching for a couch, they're searching for a dress, and Pinterest can use that information to not just serve them ideas, but objects and products to purchase. And I think that's the real potential of Pinterest here. And Bill Reddy is the guy who seems to be leading the charge here. And it all comes down to just changing the definition of what Pinterest is, especially ahead of this key holiday season. Yeah. And so much of these stocks is about the narrative, right? And the definition and where, and where investors think the potential is. Julia, thank you. Uh, a winner today of four and a half percent. Mike, as we, as we head into the close, I'm just watching where the weakness is today. I don't know that we've talked about this yet. Utilities, real estate, healthcare, yeah. and consumer staples. Defensive plays. So if so, if you think that the market has further to go, you might want to be in those sectors to protect yourself, right. especially if you think we're going into recession. Why are they getting sure. in especially hard? Um, I think it's a matter of what is held up better. In fact, one of the bullish points coming into the week was that some of those perceived safe havens had started to buckle. You like this idea. There's nowhere easy to hide. Uh, you take a look at the uh, internal action today in terms of breadth. You're three to one negative to positive in terms of volumes on the New York Stock Exchange. So that's clearly giving back some of the very strong upside breadth, but not all of it that we got early in the week. Also, you mentioned real estate. I think it's worth looking at you know, a six-month chart of real estate versus the financial sector, which it used to be a part of. Real estate's really been for sale hard, and it's the, it's the tower stocks, the sell tower stocks, and the data storage REITs. That's what's really driving that, as well as commercial real estate. It's not just about yield. It's about long-dated assets losing some value. And they also started at very high valuations. Volatility index definitely bracing for the potential of a hot jobs number, perhaps, tomorrow, above 30, uh, kind of 
panicking a little bit in advance, but in a modest way so far. We were, of course, up in the mid-30s at the highs uh, of September. ADP, private sector, read shows that, that there's a lot of strength there in the jobs market still. Um, Mike, yeah. so, so as we wait for jobs tomorrow, we, we get a lot of the Fed speakers. The data has weakened. Saw ISM this week. We saw even job openings come down this week. How much, how much weakness do you think we need to see to either get a Fed pivot or, or get a market that feels more confident that that's going to happen? It probably needs to be months of, of pretty decisive moves in that direction. And honestly, the Fed has sort of shifted the focus multiple times along the way because they clearly feel as if rates just have to keep going up fast uh, in the near term until the inflation data itself buckles. They're not going to try to triangulate it and say maybe there's some inputs to inflation that are going our way and therefore will change policy. Uh, on the other hand, the rhetoric is going to stay this hawkish until the very mi minute they're either forced to change policy or they decide they have to pause because it doesn't pay for them to rhetorically ease before they're actually ready to ease because they know the market will run with it. See you at the top of overtime. You're hosting Closing Bile Overtime at the top of the hour. Uh, we want to get straight to David Faber, who's phoning in with some news, David, on Twitter and the deal with Elon Musk. Now what? Never ends. Uh, yeah, and here I am. You know, you take the subway to Midtown, you think your day's over, but not these days. It's the bizarro world of Twitter and Elon Musk. Um, we've gotten a motion that's been filed by, uh, by Musk. Um, for the judge to basically stay the litigation. This is something we've been waiting for, but we've been hoping it would be, or I shouldn't say we, uh, investors have been hoping it would be a joint stipulation going through all the points and saying, yeah, we will stay the litigation on both sides. But no, this is them asking Chancellor McCormick to stay the litigation uh, and talking about, well, any number of reasons why it would make sense at this point. But the things that stand out are some of the questions or at least uh, their concerns about how long it will take to put together uh, or for the financing banks to prepare for close, uh, saying that funding will take time because the parties are working through complex process of arranging that $12.5 billion of debt financing and drafting required documents, security interests, and on and on, Sarah. They, they say basically they'd hope to close by October 28th. That's a long way from now. That's one reason why the stock has continued to weaken. Don't expect Chancellor McCormick uh, to uh, grant the stay. That seems unlikely as do some of the claims here about how long it would take the banks to actually get together. I mean, you know, it, it, they, as I've said many times, they have a 15-day marketing period should they choose to use it, although at this point it seems unlikely any of them would actually move forward with marketing their commitments into this current market for, uh, uh, for leverage finance. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of these claims seem somewhat hollow, but it, it goes back to the idea that, Sarah, we don't have a deal still. You know, we True. have Musk yeah. offering 5420, saying I'm ready to come do it, but Twitter basically saying we need assurances when we drop this litigation that you're actually going to buy us, that you're not trying to pull a fast one on us. Neither side really trusts each other. Uh, and so maybe Chancellor McCormick will be able to figure it out. Maybe she'll call the parties for a hearing of some kind tomorrow. I don't know. But uh, and then we've got weird headlines from Musk lawyer uh, Alex Spiro talking to Bloomberg, apparently talking about lower offers that were made. But I, it's uh, you know what? This is the world of Musk. What can I tell you? It's bizarre. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are investors who are just choosing to say, see you later. As likely as they still may feel it is that this will close at 54.20, they don't want to take the risk. Right. So Twitter stock is now below $50 yeah. per share, I guess. So, so, it, so it looks likely, right, David? They just have to get through some of these litigation and debt issues. 
Yeah, I mean, the funding is not an issue. As I reported earlier, you know, pe people close to the funding banks indicate they are fully ready to stand up to their commitment. You know, whether they want to exercise their 15-day marketing window is certainly up to them, but it is not a function of them somehow saying, we are not going to finance. And even that seems clear from, from the filing we just got from, uh, from Musk. But beyond that, the questions are, well, you know, Twitter doesn't want to left, be left in any, per, any moment where they've given up the litigation uh, and yet they haven't actually been bought. And so how they bridge right. that gap has sort of been something that has proved to be perhaps more difficult than they might have anticipated, Sarah. And it's something we'll yeah. continue to watch closely. All right. <laughs> don't, don't take your afternoon nap, David. Stay close. And Musk will be oh. deposed on Monday, by the way. Uh, that's what it's been pushed to. We may see that deposition it. happen. Yeah, I mean, I guess if, the, if this if this case holds, the litigation holds as they want. David Faber, thank you very much. We got to get into the closing bell right now. We've got one minute left of trading. The Dow's down about 363 points. The low of the session came just around the top of the hour there, the final hour of trading, down about 400 or so. But it's pretty broad-based decline on the Dow right now. United Health, McDonald's, Goldman Sachs, and 3M, the biggest drags. The only gainers are Chevron, Home Depot, Caterpillar, and Boeing. Oil prices are higher today, and that's why energy stocks are doing well. The only sector in the green in the S&P 500 right now, everybody else weaker. Utilities, the worst performing, down 3.3 percent. The Nasdaq has held up a little better today, thanks to some strength in Netflix, Costco, PayPal, Adobe. It's not all losers in tech today, though Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, Amazon are weighing on that index. Small caps also holding up a little bit better, down about a half a percent, with the Nasdaq going out with a decline of three quarters of one percent. That's it for me on Closing Bell. See you from the Stock Exchange tomorrow. Now into overtime with Mike Santoli. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.